You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm assuming that most of you are Kansas City Chiefs fans, yes? Okay, apparently not. We just dislike both of the teams and just don't care at all. We're just holding out hope for the Lions, maybe next year. But hey, if we have not, there you go, there's Lions fans. Hey, you... Always have hope, right? Always have hope. That's the, that's the mantra of that team. But hey, I want to welcome all of you. My name is Andrew Kim. I'm one of the people on staff here. Welcome to all of you here. Welcome to all of you who are joining us via stream. And today, we are in, in the midst of everything else that is going on. And there's a lot going on out in the lobby afterwards. But today, we are also wrapping up this series that we are in, where we're looking at just one verse over this three-week series. And that verse is found in the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 6. 6 verse 8. And these words that we've been looking at over the past several weeks were words that were first spoken by God to his people way back in the 8th century BC. And he said this, this to them. And God spoke to his people and said, he has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And he says three things, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so today, as we really focus on this whole idea of what it means to do justice and that God is a God of justice, and that's how he desires us to live, we're actually going to be learning three Hebrew words today. So you guys up for that? Okay, good stuff. So like 10 of you are up for it, and every, all of you, everybody else just hates Hebrew. But nevertheless, same thing with the 9 a.m. But we're going to learn those three words, and we're going to have some fun, hopefully as well, in just having a conversation about justice. And as we continue, would you join me in prayer? So, Lord, we are grateful. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful community, God. And thank you, Lord, that we can be connected here in person as well as the people who are watching via stream. Lord, thank you that we can laugh. Thank you that we can have fun. Thank you that we can sing. And thank you that we can also dig into the scriptures as well, eat chili, all of these great things, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that as we talk about justice today, Lord, that you would speak to us as only you can do. And so we are so grateful for you. Thank you for your love and your care and your compassion for us. And we pray all these things in your son's powerful name. Amen. Amen. And something else that we want to do, we want to continue our service today by receiving our offering. So ushers, I want to invite you to come down. And one of the things that I want to say thank you to all of you for is how you have embraced and how you've jumped on board with the support of Wave Project. And they really are, as you heard, they're an extraordinary organization and they have transformed so many lives. And it's just a picture of the generosity of this community. And I'm excited because as we continue on in this year, I know that as things come up and as needs arise, that this community, the open-handedness of this community, that God will use us in extraordinary ways. And so one of the ways that if you would like to partner with us in the mission that God has given us because this moment is not primarily about money. It really is about moving towards accomplishing our God-given mission. If you would like to partner with us, one of the ways is financially. And of course, there are a number of ways to do this and the offering bags are going around, but there are a number of other ways as well as you see on the sky side screen. And you can scan the QR code and you can give electronically. We can also text the word Kensington to 77977. And we can also give via our website, which is how my wife Robin and I give, and we can also give via the app. But if you are somebody who does financially partner with us, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. And years ago, my wife Robin and I, we used to be huge fans of home renovation shows. And so we used to love watching HGTV, shows like Fixer Upper and Property Brothers. We watched hours of these shows every single week. 
But when I actually think about home renovation shows, before any of these shows were on the air, there was another show which I consider really the OG or one of the OGs of home renovation shows, and I was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Anyone remember that show? Okay, a bunch of us do, right? I think it was on ABC. We have big fans here of Extreme, Make Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I think they tried to bring it back. It may not have worked out. Who knows, right? But it was a great show while it lasted. And I once read an article about this show that said that it produced more tears than teardowns, which is so true. Because almost every single week, they would profile a down-on-their-luck family who was struggling and that they were living in this terrible situation. But yet, in the midst of their struggles, they were still continuing to give back, still continuing to serve their community in all of these beautiful ways. And so what the team would do is that they would actually send this family away on vacation. And then, with the help of all of these volunteers, they would charge in and they would transform their home in a matter of days. But of course, the best part of the whole show, what it all built up to, was the big reveal. And does anyone remember what they would yell out before they would actually show the family their new home? <laughs> exactly, right? They would all yell, move that bus! And the bus would drive away, and then they would see their home, and the family and everyone else, they'd be like crying, they'd be jumping up and down, because it was this beautiful place where now they didn't have to worry about a leaky roof or mold, or not having any heat. And one of the reasons why we love these shows, why I love these shows, and why so many of you love these shows as well, is because we look at a situation, that family situation, and there's something inside of every single one of us that says that it shouldn't be like this, that no one should have to live in a house or in a place where they're worried about freezing to death or where they could get sick because they have black mold in their walls. And the first Hebrew word that we want to focus on today is the word shalom. And the word shalom in the Bible is typically translated peace, but it's so much more than that. And an author and theologian named Cornelius Plantinga, this is how he describes shalom. He says, it's the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace but it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. What shalom is, is shalom is the way that God created our world to be. It's the way that our world was intended to be. It's a completeness, it's a wholeness, it's a total flourishing in every area of our lives and in our world, whether it be economically, socially, spiritually, mentally, every aspect. But unfortunately, due to the presence of sin and brokenness in our world, this shalom has unraveled. And that's why when we actually look at families who are living in these awful situations, like in this show, there's something in us that says, hey, you know what? It's not supposed to be this way. Because there's something in us that says, hey, you know what? This is less than God's best. It should be this place of shalom, but yet it's not. But justice, justice is the vehicle through which God is able to make things right. And it's the vehicle through which he returns us to this place of shalom. And in his book, Overrated, Eugene Cho, who's president and CEO of a great nonprofit called Bread for the World, this is how he describes it. He says, justice is the act of restoring something to fullness after it was harmed. Justice is making things right, renewing the world to where he would have intended it to be. Justice is the pursuit of the shalom that God intended for the world and humanity. And so to do justice, as it talks about in Micah 6, 8, is to work towards returning this world to a place of wholeness, 
of fullness, of total flourishing in every area. That's what shalom is, and that is what God intended our world to be. And when you think about it, the beauty of what that could be, that is a vision that is definitely worth fighting for. And back in the 8th century BC, when these words in Micah 6, 8 were first spoken through the prophet Micah, the prophet Micah wasn't the only one around at the time in terms of prophets because there were other prophets around. And another prophet who lived during the time was a guy by the name of Amos. And Amos was a shepherd and he was a farmer. That was his background. He had no credentials, no experience as a prophet, but God still used him in a powerful way. And centuries before these guys were ever on the scene, the nation of Israel had gone through a big transition in that after King Solomon, who was the third king of the nation of Israel, Israel actually split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom that kept the name Israel and the southern kingdom, which became known as Judah. And God sent Micah, his prophet, down to the southern kingdom, and he sent Amos up to the northern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel, in terms of what was going on at this time was that economically, they were doing fantastic. You can think of like their stock market was setting records every single day. Their economy was churning and just moving forward. And people who financially, for the most part, they were doing really, really well. But spiritually, this group of people, they were a total train wreck. They were in a ditch because they were worshiping all of these other gods. They were also lying, stealing, oppressing, exploiting, even killing one another. And so God is looking at his people doing all of these things, not only treating him, but treating one another terribly. And he got angry. And he sent his prophet Amos to warn them and also to remind them that this is not the way that he wanted them to live, but it was a different way, a better way, a more beautiful way. And in saying this, God wasn't messing around. He wasn't playing around with his people. And he actually points out, using some very strong words, he points out to them that at this point, at this time, they were still going through the religious rituals, still going through the motions, still going through these rhythms. In today's day, it would be like if somebody still came to church every single week, maybe gave money, gave their time, did all of these things. But yet, those people, way back then, they were perpetuating incredible injustices and living in these terrible ways and thinking that it was okay. And so what God said to them was these words. He says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? And what he's saying is, is that when you actually come before me, when was the last time you actually meant it? It wasn't just this rote routine because you've done it over and over and over again. When was it that last time you came before me and you actually, when you sang these songs, whatever it was, that you actually meant it at the very core of your being? Because what God wanted from his people wasn't just to follow a list of rules and laws, but to actually do justice. Not to think about it, not to talk about it, but to actually do it. And for it to come from this place of deep transformation that it happened. And God actually says this in the very next verse. And he says to his people, but let justice, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. And those two words are important. I'm gonna to touch on them later. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
And when we hear, maybe when, for some of us, maybe when we hear that word justice, maybe for some of us, walls may come up. Maybe we have an aversion to it. Because when we hear that word justice, maybe we associate it with the phrase social justice, which we then associate with a liberal left-leaning agenda, which we cannot stand. And maybe for others of us, we have other baggage associated with this word. But let me say this about this word justice. Whether we love it or hate it, justice, as revealed in the Bible, as revealed in the scriptures, is absolutely indispensable to God's mission here on this earth. It's not secondary. It's not peripheral to the gospel message. It is absolutely core to the gospel. It is absolutely core to the message of Jesus. And when we actually do justice, what we are doing, the reason why God is so passionate about it, and he says, don't just think about it, don't just sit around and pretend you actually do it. When you actually do it, what he tells us is, is that we reflect his character, we reflect his nature and his heart to the world. And that is why he is so passionate about this. And the word justice that we saw in that verse that was found in Amos, the Hebrew word that's translated justice is the word mishpat. And that's the second Hebrew word that we're going to be looking at. And the Hebrew word that's translated righteousness is the word tzedek. And the reason why these two words are so incredibly important, they're often linked together in the Old Testament. They're often found together. And the reason why we're going to be looking at these two words for the rest of our time is because they give us a fuller picture of God's vision for justice. And years ago, I remember there was a study done. I remember reading a study, and this study was an interesting study, and it was done in the UK and Germany. And the goal of researchers was to find out, was to discover when children actually developed a sense of justice, right? Was it actually inherent to them? Did they develop at a young age, or was it something, was it more nurture because of the environment around them? And so they actually conducted two interesting experiments. And they had all of these children gathered together who, whose parents would actually let them participate in this. And so in one experiment, the child had some cookies, enjoying the cookies, eating the cookies, and a puppet would come in and steal the cookies away. Right? No kid wants that. But that was the first experiment. And then the second experiment, the child is looking, and there's two puppets in front of them, and one puppet has marbles, and, and the other puppet would come and take away the marbles from that one puppet. And what researchers discovered was, was that in 60% of the occasions, the child would step in and intervene and return the stolen marbles to the wrong puppet. And then in 80% of the cases, the child would step in and take their cookies back which basically tells us that kids love cookies. I don't think we need a study to figure that out. But what more importantly, what they found out was, was that from an early age, we as human beings, and they saw this over and over again, we as human beings have an inclination towards justice. We have, inc we have an inclination towards righting a wrong, towards giving people what they deserve. And that is what mishpat is. And this is the reason why. So for probably so many of us, including all of us, we are passionate about this. Because when something is done that is terribly wrong, there's something inside of us, again, that says that's not right. And for some people, when, it, when I talk about giving people what they deserve, that's part of what mishpat is, is that for some people in our world, what they deserve is punishment because they have done terrible things, terrible things to other people. It's one of the reasons why you and I love certain movies. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. Any other Taken fans here? Exactly. We love that movie. Taken 2, Taken 3. I have no idea why they made those, right? How many times can somebody actually be taken? But that is the whole idea. It's this whole idea of mishpat, 
right? It's also the reason why we love superhero movies, like Superman and Batman and Avengers, because the villain who has done all of these horrible things gets what he or she deserves. And in the Old Testament, King David, who is the second king of the nation of Israel, he says that God is a God of mishpat. He is a God of justice. And he writes this. He says, turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just, the mishpat, and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. He says, the offspring of the wicked will perish. He's saying, I am going to right this wrong. They will get what they deserve, which in this case was punishment. It's the idea that God will carry out justice by punishing the wicked. And that's the idea of mishpat. But when you actually look at the flip side of the coin, right, for some people, what they deserve isn't punishment because they haven't done anything wrong because what they deserve, because rather they themselves have been wronged. And so what Mishpat would dictate is they don't deserve to be punished, but rather they deserve care and protection. And when Mishpat is used in the Old Testament, many times it's used in conjunction, sort of in connection with certain groups of people. Because over and over again, when we see this word used in the Bible, what we see is, is that it describes taking up the care and the cause of widows, orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. And one example that we see this in is the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, where God told his people, cursed is anyone, cursed is anyone who withholds justice, there's that word again, from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor, they were oftentimes known as the quartet of the vulnerable because many times they found themselves at the lowest rungs of society. And today we could also include, probably expand that group to include migrant workers, refugees, the unsheltered, as well as the elderly. And what we see in the scriptures is that the mishpat or the justness of a society or people as a value, as determined by the Bible, is how it treats these people, how it treats the, the, the most vulnerable, the most powerless. And what God tells us is that any neglect shown to their needs, it is just simply a lack of charity or mercy. It's a gross violation of justice, which lies at the very heart of God. Because what we read over and over, what God tells us over again, over again in the scriptures is, is that he defends, he loves, he elevates the cause of the poor, the powerless, the marginalized and oppressed. And if we claim to follow Jesus, we need to live in this same way. This should be our lives because he is so extraordinarily passionate about this. And this is what Mishpat is. It's not only, it's righting a wrong, but it's also giving giving people what they deserve. And that could be punishment, that could be care, or that could be protection. And if we have been following the news this past week, we know that there was a massive earthquake that happened in Turkey and Syria. Magnitude 7.8 earthquake, huge, huge earthquake. And the last time I looked, and I looked earlier this morning, that death toll was approaching 30,000 and it's probably simply gonna get higher and higher and higher. The injury count, the confirmed injury count was north of 90,000 in one article that I read. And if you actually think about that, that is staggering. Almost 30,000 people who have died. Almost 90,000 people, probably more, who have been injured. It's incredibly heartbreaking what has happened in that part of the world. And people are continuing to be rescued, but one of the people who was rescued this past week was a baby named Aya. And maybe some of you heard about her story, and her name in Arabic means miracle, because that's exactly what her situation involves. 
because when they found her, she was actually still connected to her mother via umbilical cord. And so she had just been born. But both her mother and her father and all four of her siblings died in the earthquake. In fact, 90% of her town was completely destroyed. And when she arrived at the hospital, she was barely breathing, but thankfully she's now in stable condition. And this is a picture of baby Aya, right? Born in an earthquake, and her story is extraordinary. And the director of the hospital, he's sort of taken her under his wing, and he has a daughter just four months older than Aya, and so his wife is not only taking care of their own daughter, but also taking care and breastfeeding baby Aya as well. And her story went viral, and people all around the world read about it and saw it, and they probably started thinking and feeling what many of us are starting to think and feel as well when we hear that story, and that when we hear about something like this, there's something deep within every single one of us that says it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't. That kind of stuff, 30,000 people dying, and we're talking about children. We're talking about mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, best friends and neighbors, so many people who have not only died, but who have been traumatized and experienced devastating loss that they have to carry with them for the rest of their lives, and we think it should not be this way. And especially for baby Aya, she didn't deserve this. What she deserved was to grow up with her parents, to know them, to love them, as well as her siblings. And she didn't do anything wrong, but she was wronged herself. And so what she deserves in this situation is care and protection, which thankfully she is receiving at this point. But this is what mishpat is. This is what it looks like to do justice, is to right a wrong, to give people what they deserve. And what we're going to do at the end of this message is we are going to pray for the people in Turkey and Syria. But something else that happened this past week was that many people called our offices asking, uh, when they found out about this situation, what is Kensington actually doing to respond to this crisis? And I love that because we have a reputation in this community when something happens in our region, when something happens in our world, our people mobilize. And so they called us asking not only what are we doing, but also how can we partner together? And so what we are doing is that we are working with our partner, Send International, who we have worked with in the past. And they have local partners on the ground, and they have already mobilized vehicles, kitchen units, mobile kitchen units, as well as hygiene units to the rescue sites to work with displaced refugees in their incredible loss and their trauma. And I recognize that we are thousands of miles away, and this is something that's happening on the other side of the world. And so one of the ways that we can come alongside of these people is through our giving is to be able to support the people who are there on the ground with these rescue efforts. And so if you would like to give to these efforts, you can see there are a number of ways that we can do so, and we can scan the QR code and we can give that way. We can also go to the website, kensingtonchurch.org forward slash giving, and we can text the word Kensington Special, the words Kensington Special to 77977, or we can also give via the app as well. And again, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. And something else that's really important for us to mention, for me, to mention is that 100% of what is given will go towards the relief efforts. Not a penny of what is given will stay here with Kensington, but will go to this situation that is continuing to unfold every single day. But something else that we can be a part of, even though we're so far away, is that when I look back at just the last handful of weeks of 2023, is there has been so much heartbreak and tragedy, not just in our nation, but of course in our world as well. And one of the ways that we can respond is through prayer. 
And prayer isn't one, and I talked about a little bit about this two weeks ago, is prayer is one of those words that sometimes we just throw around and that we just think it's no big deal. But it's, extra, and it's this extraordinary privilege that we have to really be able to communicate and be connected to the God of the universe. And it is powerful because I believe that when we pray, that God not only changes us, but he also changes the world around us. And so this coming Tuesday, we are going to come together as a community to be able to pray for our nation and what has been going on and also to pray for what is going on in our world. And so we would love for you to join us. It's happening on February 14th, which I recognize as Valentine's Day. I talked to many people and they said, you know what, it doesn't matter to me, so I'll, I'm gonna come anyways. And so I guess I just talked to the most unromantic people in our entire community. So if you are one of those people, February 14th, even if you just want to have your Valentine's Day with us, 7 o'clock in the Troy Chapel, which is right over there, and it's probably going to be about 45 to 60 minutes, but we would love for you to join us. And so today we have looked so far at these two Hebrew words. We've looked at shalom, which means wholeness and flourishing the way that God intended our world to be. We've looked at mishpat, and now we want to also look at tzedek. And tzedek, as we saw earlier in that verse in the book of Amos, is that it's typically translated as righteousness. And the difference between mishpat and tzedek is, is mishpat is rectifying, it's retributive justice, whereas tzedek is primary justice. You can think of tzedek, we can think of tzedek as having right relationships, is that if we actually lived in this way, in the way of tzedek, we wouldn't need mishpat. And tzedek is having right relationships, treating each other fairly, equitably, generously. It's treating others with God-given dignity, understanding that every single one of us are made in the image of God and therefore have infinite value and worth. What tzedek is, is basically not being a jerk to each other. And can you imagine if you and I actually did this? Is that if we genuinely loved others, cared for others, had compassion and mercy and forgiveness for others, just as God has for us, if we actually did this, there wouldn't be nothing to rectify. There would be nothing to restore because our world would be what God created it to be. And that is what tzedek is. And that is an aspect of justice. And God says, this is the way that I want you to live, the right way. But I have trouble with this and you have trouble with this as well. And we mess this up every single day, which is why we need that other form of justice. But this is one example that is mentioned in the Bible of this whole word tzedek. And it's found in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And Moses, one of the great leaders in the Bible, he's saying this to his people. He says, you shall have just balances. There's that word, just weights, a just ephah, and a just tin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is what's basically going on at this point. Right? Back in the ancient world, how they would determine the cost of an item right? when they were selling something was that they would, would, they would determine it by weight. And so they would have, merchants would have a literal scale in front of them. They would place the item on one end and they would place weights on the other end. But of course, dishonest merchants, what they would do is that they would sort of mess up the weights. And so if it said one pound, maybe it was a little bit heavier, maybe it was a little lighter, depending upon the situation. So when they were buying something, they would use heavier weights so they could get more. And when they were selling something, they would use lighter weights so they can actually sell less. And there was no oversight, right, like we have today. Because when we all go to the gas station, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but when we're pumping gas at the gas station, at the pump, there's usually a sticker on the pump that says that this pump has been verified by this, whatever it is. Maybe it's an accounting firm, or usually one of the stickers that I've seen is the Department of Agriculture Weights and Measures, right? And they make sure, because we have no idea, right? When I'm pumping like 10 gallons into my car, I have no clue when I'm, whether I'm getting, actually getting 10 gallons. Maybe I'm getting eight. 
But the Department of Agriculture of Weights and Measures, they make sure that I and you are getting our 10 gallons. But unfortunately, way back then, they didn't have any of these things. And so what God is saying, understanding, he saw his people ripping each other off. He's saying to them, don't be a jerk, right? Don't live like this. Treat each other fairly, equitably, and justly. Live in a different way. Because when we actually live in that way, it creates a more beautiful world. What, God in, what I intended our world to be. And a little more than 10 years ago, there was a movement that was started called Justice Deposits. And it's, a, it's really a movement to inject more capital into black-owned and black-run banks to allow more black Americans and people of color to allow them to gain access to capital. And back in 2020, what happened was that Netflix pledged to move $100 million into black-owned banks. And then Costco followed suit by pledging $25 million. PayPal came onto the scene and said, we will move $500 million. And so it gained some traction. And one of the reasons why is that back in 2010, there were only 40 black-owned banks in the United States. And that number dipped to 16 in 2019. And when you actually look at black-owned banks, their total assets were only $5 billion, whereas majority-owned banks, big banks like Wells Fargo, their total assets totaled $17.1 trillion. So you're talking $5 billion, $17.1 trillion. That is a big difference. And if you actually dig a little bit deeper, what we see is that majority-owned banks only loaned out 1% of their total assets to black Americans, whether it be families or individuals for mortgages or businesses, while black Americans make up 13% of the population. But black-owned banks, they loaned out 67% of their total assets. Again, a huge difference, 1% or 67%. And something that many of us know is that in order to build wealth, not only for ourselves, but also for our family, for generations to come, right? The, the wealth that we want to pass on to our children and our children's children and down throughout the generations, one of the best way to do that is through home ownership. And in the United States, on average, the net worth, the average net worth of a family, home equity makes up about 35% of a family's average net worth because they own a home. And so what happens when you can't own a home or it's so incredibly difficult to get that mortgage? And in the United States, black Americans, it's more than twice as high the mortgage denial rates for black Americans. And on average, they also pay more for their mortgages than white Americans. And so this whole movement of justice deposits, which was thought up by people who know money a lot better than I do, is it actually came out of a church in the Chicagoland area, a church that we've actually partnered with in the past called Community Christian Church. What it is, is the idea is, what if we could actually get people what if we could get organizations? What if we could actually get businesses like Netflix, like PayPal, like Costco to actually move their funds to black-owned banks to re-inject capital into these institutions so that they could loan it out to people? And that was the idea. And that is this whole movement that people have done. And this is just such an easy, easy way to be able to do it. It's a low-risk, really a no-risk proposition for so many of us to do. And this is the vision behind it. And they actually, and you see it right there, and people who are a lot smarter and know money a lot better than I do, there was an article that was published in the Harvard Business Review about justice deposits. But it's one of the ways that we can live in this way. It's mishpat and it's tzedek. 
is actually living in a way of fairness and equity and justice, but at the same time, righting a wrong that has been in existence, not even for decades, but centuries in our nation. But let me also say this, is that God says, this is the way that I want you to live. I want you to live a life of justice. And it is really easy, really, really easy for us to have this conversation today, even for me, just to talk about these words, to say these words, for us to talk about justice and to think about justice and to do absolutely nothing. That's why God tells us in Micah 6, 8, I don't, I don't want you to just think about it or ponder it. I want you to do it. It is an action. But this is the thing that some of you know, maybe many of you know, that if you actually move towards doing justice, there is a cost. There is absolutely a cost. And maybe for some of us, it'll cost us our comfort. Because when we actually see injustice happening to us, will we actually step in? And will we actually use our voice? Will we use the God-given resources that we have to say no and to elevate the people who are voiceless? Will we actually do that? Or are we just going to ignore it and just turn the other way? Maybe for others of us, it means that we can't work for a certain company because of their ethics. Maybe we can't be a part of certain business deals because of the way that they exploit certain workers. Maybe we can't buy certain products because of the way that they're manufactured. And simply the people who actually make them are not compensated fairly. There is a cost because as probably all of us know, you don't get something for nothing. And our world is broken. And if we actually want to begin to move this world to God's vision of shalom, to what he intended it to be, it requires every single one of us to do this. But this is the thing. I have so much hope and I have so much love for this community. And I truly believe that we can do that if every single one of us would just simply take a step and we just look around in our lives and we actually say, how can we actually do this with the spaces and the places that God has strategically and intentionally placed us? How can we be people of justice who do mishpat and who do sedek? And I believe that if we actually do this and have a commitment to this, it won't be our own lives that are only impacted, but this world will be a much more beautiful place. This is my hope, and I know it's God's hope as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we're, thank you, Lord, for this community, and thank you, God, that for so many people already, they are living in this way. But show us, Lord, how you want us to even take that next step, because you're not just content with us just being where we are right now, Lord, because you want to use us in far greater ways to create the shalom on this earth. And right now in Turkey and in Syria, there is not a sense of shalom. There is so much pain and brokenness. There is so much sorrow and grief, Lord. And so you tell us, God, that you are the God of comfort, that you are the God of peace, that you and your people are broken. And when, they are, when we are hurting, Lord, that you are present with us. And so, Lord, I pray that for the rescue workers, the government leaders, that you would give them wisdom. I pray, Lord, for those who have lost loved ones, God, those who are injured, that they would know your presence in such a tangible way. And for those who are trapped, God, right now, Lord, and they are struggling to maintain hope, God, that you would lead the rescue workers to find them, God. Show us also what we can do as people here, Lord, in Troy, Michigan, how we can love people who are thousands of miles away, Lord, but yet, Lord, our prayers, our giving, whatever it may be, can still be a source of hope and can still touch their lives, Lord. Show us how you want us to respond. Thank you, Jesus, that you care so deeply about us and our world, and you're so deeply involved in it. We are grateful for you, and we pray these things in your name.
You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.